This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome to the My Old Man Said podcast. I'm David Michael, the editor of MyOldManSaid.com, and your host for the show that covers the annual event that is Liverpool beating Villa in injury time. It's pretty much an annual event now. Joining me to discuss this, Mr. Chris Budd. Welcome. Hello. Hello. How are you? It's fantastic. Dial, dial the positivity down a bit. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get Phil Shaw on before we uh, before we start bleeding out on the uh, on the airwaves. Uh, Mr. Phil Shaw, welcome back. Hello. So, how, how are you, uh, Mr. Phil Shaw? How, how's uh, Winter Soldier treating you? Oh, it's not too bad. Uh, it's just, uh, but it's, it's no one division, but it's 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 all right. <laughs> <laughs> how's how's your fraction of uh, a Disney share doing? In because that that will tell you if people are receiving uh, Winter Soldier well or not. Is it gone up or is it gone down? It's steady. It's, it's steadily going up. I think it's the other things Disney have brought in. It's, it's better than my Tesla shares and things like that. Well, look at you, <laughs> diversifying. <laughs> yeah, diversifying. How's your Tesla? How, how much have you got in Tesla? J- just the usual. I'll get I'll get you a Tesla. That might get you a screw. I I think Tesla shares are. I think each they're about was it six hundred and thirty around that. I think dollars. They're doing really well. Yeah. Although they have they did drop a bit. But anyway, this isn't a financial podcast. Maybe we can do that uh, at at another date. How are you, Mister Bud? Not bad. Not bad. How are your shares? Doing all right, actually. <laughs> what have you got? <laughs> a bit of everything, mate. Have you? Um, that's, yeah, yeah, I've got a nice diverse portfolio. Thank you, David. And on with the show. <laughs> oh, he's a bit of a dark horse, this chap. He doesn't didn't like to give anything of his personal life to our loyal listeners. <laughs> S- screw you, bud. Screw you. Right. Uh, have you? Did you see? Have you seen any of the BAFTA winners before we go on? A little bit and pieces. Have, have you seen Nomadland? I like Soul. That one... Uh, I haven't seen that, but I've seen Soul, which is brilliant. I think Atticus Ross and Trent Reznor won best score for that, which is well worth a watch and well worth a listen. Have any of you freaks seen uh, Promising Young Woman with Kerry Mulligan? No. It's a good film. It's I, I, worth watching. I'll put it on the list. Put it on the list. God damn it. Right, coming up in the show, we get into uh, the latest filler news from uh, incoming financial re- results. They're not actually out at this point. A statement's been issued. Uh, I've been to uh, well virtually been to a fan consultation group meeting so a little bit about that updates on Trezeguet 
Then uh, the three points were all kinds of things from uh, social media boycotts and uh, prodigal son, 11-year-old prodigal son in uh, Liberia who is uh, taking the football world by storm, well, over there anyway, before we get into uh, the annual event where Liverpool uh, managed to beat Villa in the injury time. Before closing out the show with overrated and underrated, Mr. Milan Barros. Can he get to the heady heights of uh, Zach Knight's... uh, it's going to be difficult, but we'll we'll try. We'll try. Does he have wax mm-hmm. candles? <laughs> Every player should have have them now, as far as I'm concerned. Anyway, right. First into the Villa news. Uh, Trezeguet's done his ACL, which would mean he's out of the season and uh, out for a considerable few months. Uh, other players uh, like El Mahamedi and uh, Mo Salah have kind of made remarks to him that suge- this kind of thing that you say to people when they're out for a long time. Like Elmo said, "You'll come back strong." bro wish you a speedy recovery and Marcelo said I wish you a speedy recovery and look forward to seeing you back on the field soon these are the kind of things uh, you don't say that uh, if they're going to miss a few weeks do you no and it, was a, it was one of those innocuous ones that they, they always tend to be the, the horrible ones don't they be like Heaton's one yeah. At Burnley. Yeah, not good. Yeah. He's, he's had a bad year, and you know, between his hamstring injury, then he got COVID. Now this. Yeah. Yeah, it's just a villa injury. If somebody goes down was holding their holding their knee now, it's just you just know. It wasn't it wasn't the advertising boards that took him out. Like they seem to try to take out every villa player in that game. There's def, <laughs> no. definitely advertising boards have got something in for Villa, and that's that's for sure. That was the, it was the same advertising board that Gabby went arse over tit, wasn't it, as well? Yeah, no, there's 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 a theme over the years there for sure. Uh, I attended uh well virtually uh at Villa fan consultation group meeting. I think the minutes or the notes, shall I say, because they're not strictly the minutes, will hopefully come out this week. By the time you probably listen to this, uh I think just the headlines that headlines I can probably say is uh, if you've got EE and you go to Villa Park, uh, there's a good chance you'll get a 4G, 5G signal because that's apparently been installed. Talks with O2 as well, so uh, watch this space for that. So there's one improvement for Villa Park. Uh, also, uh, there's going to be over the summer accessibility seats uh, for the disabled uh, put in, and I think the away fans are now going to be puts uh, rather than being on the concourse and the trinity when i say concourse i mean the, the kind of level uh mid lower they'll be next to uh the away fans in the doug ellis which will mean uh, a drop of capacity to uh, fit this in so uh, i think the capacity will drop a, a little bit but I'm, i won't speculate how much at this moment this is something that villa had to do because uh, going into next season they would be breaking the premier league rules i think you get a grace period of a season or two to kind of sort it all out so they've they've been uh, below the actual quota so uh, this will like, get us uh, back up to speed i mean this is something that villa have uh, been trailing behind a little bit it's, it's something you can fit when you build a new stand but villa you know they're kind of waiting for refurbishment and 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 updating of a lot of villa park because it's uh you know some of it's like from a as one villa staff member said some of the concourses are out of a hammer horror film this is especially doug ellis 
Uh, financials uh, statement came out. What it means is uh, the accounts have been submitted to Companies House. They normally take a, a few days to actually publish them. So in the meantime, Villa put out the statement. I think the 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 thing that's been clickbaited by the usual suspects mentioned in no names is uh, this sentence they put in about uh, the long term, uh, the you know stadium expansion and updating. Which from meetings with personally these fan consultation group meetings, Mrs. Something's asked every year, and uh, the last two owners had plans drawn up and uh, finalised to do this. But it's all down to uh, so this is like the third wave of these. But it's all down to performance on the pitch. And Perslow has been dead straight with this. He said any expansion is not going to happen anytime soon until there's consistency and uh, progress on the pitch. There's no guarantees we'll improve again next season, but they will, they'll want to see it with their own eyes. So it's going to be a couple more, you know, two, three more seasons at least, I think, before they even uh, entertain the idea. But with these things, you've got to get the plans in place before you can start to do anything. So it's something you, you, you kind of do up front. You also, you write these things into your statements just to, in a world of COVID where we've lost millions of pounds like every other Premier League football club, to uh, add a bit of positivity in and just to suggest that the ship is sailing in the right direction. I mean, they've already spent, haven't they, big on the the new training, although it's the High Performance Centre, they're calling it, um, that I think they're using now, even though it hasn't been formally opened. So in terms of, they've already been outlaying on what you know would be classed as capital investment i'm sure they'll be looking to do it but they just won't be in a rush to you know we, no, we, we because, don't have you know we're not like the london clubs or liverpool manchester etc where they've got you know 10,000 20,000 plus waiting lists i think liverpool's about 30 40,000 waiting list for season tickets so even like celtic and rangers have got that this is the first time we've sold out every week yeah that's because they're guaranteed pretty much to finish you know in those kind of top six places and they've had regular european football for you know the last decade yeah with been mincing around in the uh the championship for three seasons and you know we need to uh let's say get firmer firmer feet in this division before uh, they start spending willy-nilly i mean there's you know some people have, have this kind of the logic that oh you know covid construction carried on no fans there during lockdown so why not build a stand uh, during this lockdown it's like well yeah well while, while the club's hemorrhaging uh, losing revenue from match day from commercial from tv rights because there was a bit of a rebate there and the uncertainty of what's happening next season we may be certain the next season and it may be just be 10,000 or 20,000 so these are not the conditions where you think oh there's i know I've got a good idea let's build a big 60,000 you know 70,000 stadium so uh, yeah it's a bit irresponsible because this happens every year there's always stories about yeah no stand being revamped and you know here we still are and on social media all these old pictures of uh, the stands being you know 60,000 80,000 you know a lot of them some of them are off my website that I did stories about like eight nine years ago well, you only need to look at um, Spurs they'll be a good test case because it doesn't look like they're going to get Champions League football and that big stadium is based on them being top four every season so yeah they need to keep an eye on their financials Oh, they've been also, hemorrhaging money. They've, they've had government support, haven't they, to pay for it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because because they were also relying on that deal they did with the NFL as well, because they were going to host uh, games there. And there were, you know there was talk of a London-based, UK-based franchise, and that was going to be their home uh, turf. So they've got a bit of a sticky wicket there to uh, get over in the next couple of seasons. So yeah, so just hold steam on the, all the clickbait about. Uh, Wow, amazing. Oh my God. Expansion. Fantastic. Let's, let's get it right on the field first. Right. Moving on to the three points. Uh, f- 
first one seems to be a, a bit of a build-up here for a uh, social media boycott, all based on uh, what's been happening I mean, pretty much daily in terms of racial abuse to footballers. Uh, Swansea have, have actually come offline their social media. I think the Blues did as well, did they not? And Rangers. Yes, yeah, Rangers made a, a big point of it. And now there's discussion. Uh, I think this is going to be in the, the Premier League meeting this week, which may have happened by the time you listen to the show, where they're discussing... Uh, because currently there's a strong consensus uh, that a joint action is needed to uh, put across a, a stronger message. So there may be a case that all the Premier League teams in the EFL teams kick it out, schedule. Uh, and the FA are also uh, thinking about getting involved like a mass uh, boycott in terms of football. You know, this was mentioned in the Villa FCG, not not in terms of the boycott, but uh, the racial hatred and uh, how to tackle it and what the club are putting in place. It's you know, it's usual, it's the usual, you know, Texas number if you see anything. But you know, as I said on the in the meeting, the elephant on the room is you put out a post to celebrate Jewish Passover and suddenly there's like, you know, 26, 28,000 angry faces and uh, loads of insults in Arabic, which. You know, it's kind of a historic thing. But, you know, when you go as a football fan to visit the club's social media, you don't want to see such a toxic uh, environment kind of playing out. So so what do you do? Uh, you know, similarly, when they changed the badge to rainbow colours, exactly the same things happened. And, I mean, it's easy to draw a line in the sand and uh, polarise it. But the reality is uh, it's not something you can solve, is it? Simply. But as I said to the club, you know, it's like you can do things like filter out terms and words is one thing you can do straight away. I mean, you'd have to look at it in terms of Arabic and then filter out such phrases, which, you know, it's uh, it's you know it's up to them to find out what is the, the prevalent uh, phrase. And also, I think if they do lobby f- Facebook, if you're looking at practical things to do on Instagram, which is owned by Facebook, you can actually put posts out and actually uh, not have comments on it. So that may, may be one thing, or maybe Facebook can have an option where you can put a, a post out in, and like go back to the old days where you can only have a thumbs up and that's it. That'll get rid of all the angry faces. So to have that, that ability to do an old school Facebook post would, would solve that problem in terms of the angry faces on like rainbow colored badges and, uh, you know, things like Jewish Passover, etc. But, you know, it's up to them to uh, lobby Facebook to do that because uh, I don't think you're going to solve that problem, are you? Not not with a click of a fingers. No, it's not a quick fix. You know, you can it's make a generational a, yeah. thing. Yeah, and, and we're talking to several generations. Mm-hmm. Talking about a generation, uh, the Hillsborough Group, the official group that uh, for around thirty two years have fought the injustice of what happened at uh, Hillsborough, have uh, finally disbanded uh, the police officers that uh, changed statements. Is there three of them, or is it yes. two? Yes, I think there's is there two two police officers and one lawyer. Yeah, two police officers and one lawyer. They have their uh, cases. I think they start, uh, I think it's the yeah. 19th. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they go to court. So uh, the Hillsborough group have, uh, I think they've, they've drawn a line under it. You know, it has been an obsession, rightly so, for 32 years. So uh, they've decided to, uh, time is to heal now that uh, they've actually uh, got some uh, justice in the end. And, uh, you know, that just shows that, you know, when you don't have to put up for anything, if there's some truth that you're fighting for, just fight to the end, which they did and uh you know incredible that what you have to go through to uh, get the truth right point number three and this we're off to africa you may have seen this uh, it's footage on the internet of uh, 
young Eric Marshall playing in uh, Liberia's fourth division, 11 year old Eric Marshall, who's about, what, three foot two, <laughs> Play, <laughs> playing against grown men in the fourth division, which if you're 11 year old playing in uh, the English fourth tier, it's not something you'd really recommend, is it? Because you, most, you know, most Premier League teams are scared to send uh, their uh, under 23 players out on loan to, uh, you know, League Two teams here. No, the, the footage is it's brilliant to watch. Uh, I mean, he gives Teddy Rowe a run for his money and just <laughs> then, yeah, you take a double take at him and then... Uh Teddy Rowe is just for listeners who don't aren't familiar. He played as a fullback against Liverpool in the FA Cup. Sorry, carry on. If you see the footage, I think it's a few seconds in. Uh, one of the tough tackling midfielder on the other side goes in about head height at Eric Marshall. <laughs> this, this, just just let him know you're there. It's one of one of those tackles because they they give him the ball. Like when they get a free kick, they let him take it, and uh, he does a lot of sideways passing. He's a bit of a little crab, but uh, he keeps it ticking along. He, he, could, he could be the new George Ware coming from there. But uh, people uh, tweeting his uh, club, football club Garu, they're called, and uh, people saying, oh, you should consider scale. An 11-year-old should be playing seven versus seven max and working to solve bigger problems later. Playing men 11 versus 11 is not the best situation, in my opinion. And the club replied, you are right. He should be playing seven against seven. There is conventional and unconventional. Sometimes the latter is spontaneous, but it has enabled us to see what he could do in such unfavorable situation. He is nearly superhuman amongst his peers, though. (laughs) So he's got no option. He's got to play with the men because... uh, He's just too dangerous with his superhuman uh, power when he plays every level. I love it. That's great. But didn't Barry Bannon do that for Villa? Wasn't he playing for us when when he was 11-year-old in the Premier League? (laughs) <laughs> was, that, was that just because he, oh, he was short wasn't he that was his four yeah, foot so. tall play. I just oh god you don't even start again. there was a joke there but you know it's a tough audience these two <laughs> moving on to uh, the game the reaction Anfield oh it was prime for a double we were talking about it in uh, something for the weekend and and it looked like it was on for a while yeah, the problem was, and we knew this going into this game. We just once you once as soon as you realised weeks ago that Liverpool hadn't won at home in the league, where they'd lost the last six games, had they not? Yeah, hadn't won at home since December. They'd lost the last six games, and you think then there's no way we're going to win this. It's just uh, you know when you need to sort out some bad record, you just play uh, play Villa, and uh, we, we will oblige. It's, it's in our DNA. Let's start from the top selection. Trezeguet in. Deservedly, I would have said. Davis didn't really expect that. I thought that would be too brave from uh, Smith to do that because he'd probably stick with the the, uh, the only formation he knows, really. Yeah. <laughs> Sanson dropped out. Was Sorry, was I being harsh there? <laughs> no. <laughs> Sanson dropped out because he was injured. And uh, first half... You got the impression that Liverpool could have finished us off and and should have finished us off. Uh, I mean, we were reasonably well organised, but he's thinking this isn't like vintage Liverpool. I can see why they uh, they've lost their last six games here. This, obviously, they're just taken a beating by uh, Madrid as well. So it's not. As, you, you could tell that this was a uh, a Liverpool team, let's say, with a cloud over their heads. Yeah, they had a bit of a soft underbelly, and they just didn't. They, and it was all very pretty, and they, 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 they all, Liverpool always passed the ball around well, but they didn't quite have that intensity and the sort of detail that they'd normally have. Where you think when you when you put them into those, you know, those sort of final, final third positions, they're normally really clinical, and they just weren't. They were wasteful, and then Villa completely against the runaway went up the other end and and took their one chance. 
Yeah. With yet another goalkeeping howler. Yep, and uh, you know, as, as the theme of not having shots on target has been a pretty big theme uh, over the last few games, this is what happens. You get a shot on target, always a chance at the keeper, because it was straight at Allison, uh, Watkins shot, and it squirmed under, and, and we were thinking, oh, the double's on, and then suddenly Liverpool equalise within a, a couple of minutes, and we're like, ah, oh, shit. Enter VAR. <laughs> we're like, oh, shit, oh, whatever. And then like three minutes later, <laughs> VAR comes to, it wasn't like immediate, was it? Oh, they were just, it was just bizarre. I mean, VAR has not had a good weekend, so we won't go into it because you could do a podcast on that alone. But I put up a tweet saying, oh, the double could be on after we went 1 0 up, and I was getting a load of, uh, oh, well done. Oh, you've cursed us. Oh, meh, meh, meh. You know, the, the kind of standard <laughs> the usual. response. Because there's, there's, there's two things you can do. You can make comments during the game where you just, just do none, and then you'll never be wrong. But, you know, where's the fun in that? And, Putting up the doubles on is is fun because, you know, you're still not expecting to beat Liverpool. I replied to a couple of those people with uh, QVAR or made some comments. And, and one, I think one of them hadn't, hadn't actually realised that the goal had been chalked off because it <laughs> happened so late after the goal. So it was like a real blessing, wasn't it? And we went in at halftime 1-0 and you're thinking that might have triggered them. I mean, it's a perfect time for them to score straight after our goal just before half time, and then that'll pump them up for the second half. So you're thinking that's going to deflate them because they'll just they'll just be thinking, oh shit, our luck's really not in, is it? And uh, we might have a, uh, a chance here. I mean, the one thing that was worrying me at that stage was still some of our passing was, there was like blind, casual passes, speculative passes. And you're just thinking, this isn't playing the percentages because we were given them the ball back too easily and this has been a theme over the second half of this, the season really we just give it away too cheaply because it's just kind of a casual edge to uh, our, our play obviously there was, the, you know, there was the Mings error as well there was, there was just it was just er- an error strewn first half and I just thought lack of focus yeah and you thought well we've gone in 1-0 down here Liverpool must be 1-0 up cussing their luck because we can't be any worse yeah and you just look at Traore as well I mean has nobody had a word with him about the, the cross-field first-time pass straight from a throw-in? I mean, it, it never works. I mean, it's, it's put us into trouble nearly every time he's tried it. So, I mean, it's, it's a simple word. It's champagne football you play when you're 7-2 up against a Liverpool team, for example. To give shouts out, I think I thought I was quite impressed with Nakamba because when he was getting the ball, he was actually yeah, he turning well. He was turning and playing positive passes and like, you know, let's say ambitious passes, but with purpose that were actually, uh, he was getting them off because normally his role is, you know, if you get the ball, just lay it off to somebody, just, you know, play it easy. But he was actually playing forward rather than sideways or backwards. And it was nice to see uh, McGinn getting involved. You know, obviously he got the assist for the goal and nice to see him involved further up the field. Yeah, so we're actually in a position. You think, well, if Liverpool, that might have taken the, you know, that VAR decision might have taken the uh, the stuff, knocked the stuffing out of them, and we can't get much worse. So uh, we're a bit more focused, and you know, we've shown if there's one thing we can still do, and that's uh, let's keep let's keep it tight at the back. Uh, Mings has already had his brain, you know, his brain fart. A game is is already happened in the first half. So uh, hopefully we'll be focused, and uh, the double may be on. And you're thinking. Is it you know is is it in the stars because uh, that VAR decision was like I think this could be us second half it was a bit more even than I expected actually but uh, then it got to that stage where I think Smith is thinking well we can win this and we started to, to think about well what what are we going to do you know I was thinking well let's get Troy off and you got two choices I think to, to try to win this game and that's either bring Davis on or Barkley on and, and just hope that Barkley uses this game against uh, you know he's a, is an Evertonian so he's 
hopefully that will spark him into life or Davis will uh, occupy their back line and you know give give our defense a bit of a breather but uh, he didn't do that no he did not and um it was weird because Liverpool, you know, Salah got the equaliser, and actually Villa improved from then on. He thought actually we looked pretty good. You think know, Trezeguet hit the post, and he thought we're actually in here. We're not, you know, we're not going to be all over them. But who is at Anfield? But we've got enough here on the break that you thought we could, we're going to get opportunities here. And we had there was the Trezeguet one, wasn't there? There was the McGinn one, and then obviously later on there was the big Barkley chance, and we fluffed our lines. I mean, you're skipping over that Trezeguet one. I thought it was a, it was a sweet attempt with the yeah, outside yeah. of his foot. It's a great, without yeah, it's a, it's a great. It was like a flicked finish, wasn't it? It was it was really unlucky. Probably deserved a goal, actually. Uh, it did. Yeah, I, I would say so. He's missed some howlers yeah. previously over the season. <laughs> this one actually deserves some justice. Yeah, but you you always felt Liverpool were going to score. It, it was kind of inevitable when Salah. Kind of got, you know, Martinez makes a great save and it bounces straight out to me. Think, you know, that it's those little breaks of the ball that you just thought they're, they're going to get one eventually. They've had a few things go against them. And when they got level, you thought, ah, this could. I never thought the floodgates was open, but you thought Liverpool are going to really get a head of steam here. And actually, but they, they didn't, didn't that much. It became reasonably even, uh, Stevens. And uh, yeah. yeah, on that 60 minute, on that 60 minute mark that I mentioned, uh, when I was thinking, yeah, get Traore off, but the first sub he made, we took Nakamba off, which I thought, well, he's one of the players that's actually, you know, helping. Uh, he was the one who gave us, yeah, he gave us the foothold in the game, and uh, he brought Barkley on for Nakamba, and I, and I and I was thinking, well, you're taking out somebody in terms of defensively who, you know, we're suddenly weaker. I think if you take Troy off and bring either Davis on or Barkley, it doesn't really affect you uh, in terms of backtracking. With Barkley, it's in terms of defensive duties, it's almost like for like Davis. I think you're a bit more solid because you've got somebody bigger to defend set pieces. And also, as he showed against Fulham, he's, you know, he can be a bit tenacious in the midfield and, and win the ball back. No, and with those two Liverpool inexperienced centre backs, they were just—it was just dying for somebody to run straight down the middle at them. I mean, that's how the first goal happened. It was just an attack straight down the middle. I mean, it didn't do it again. Yeah, it was, attack was the best form of defence against Liverpool. I think if you just retreat to your eighteen-yard line, you're just inviting world-class players onto you. Whereas I think actually their back four, certainly the two centre backs, as Phil said, and the, the two full backs, as much as they are well have been world-class fullbacks for the last few seasons. Defensively, you just thought, go on, just turn them round, get them facing their own goal. Like Alexander Arnold, prime example, he's one of the best attacking right backs in the world, but get him defending his own goal. And that's the reason Southgate's not picking him for England. Just run yeah. at him, commit them. And we, we never committed them, and that was frustrating because they were there to be. Picture the scene all of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Because that, that was the thing, actually, at one all. I mean, this sounds like the most obvious thing, but uh, it was literally the best way of getting anything out of that game was to go after the second goal. <laughs> This is it was as simple as that because you felt there was going to be one. And I think if if we'd have got it, I think it would have knocked the stuff in out of Liverpool because they'd have they'd have had that sort of deja vu of oh god, it's happened again. Yeah, I only think there would be one more goal. That that's what I'm saying. Yeah, I also got the feeling I was like, ah shit, if we had the same team that that spanked them seven two, like Grealish and also Barkley in form, I think we won this game. Yeah, with because I think the the punch that those two players would give you on the breakaway, Liverpool would not be able to get a better steam. And if they did, yeah. if they did throw caution to the wind, I think we'd have had enough punch on the break and you'd have had two guys who can thread balls through to Watkins. And then obviously, you know, towards the end of the game, Barkley got that big chance, didn't he, where he's through. Yeah. 
and you think, pull the trigger. Fluffs, fluffs it, and then of course they go up the other end, and we know what happened. Yeah, up until that part, I'm, I'm just thinking that Nakamba Barkley was the wrong one. I would have, I would have brought uh, Davis or Barkley on for Traore. Yeah, at that time, maybe uh, I think Davis, just because of what I said about that defensive quality that he gives you. At least you know if you're uh, if you're backed up and you're defending corners, and you know they like to put diagonal balls in. Then at least you got a big man in there as well. And then you know later on, Al Ghazi came on for Traore, and that, I mean Al Ghazi still. Uh, You'd want him to be an impact sub. If he's not consistent enough to start, then you want him to do something when he comes on, you know, with 22 minutes to go. But he did pretty much nada, didn't he? Yeah, because, I mean, the thing about El Ghazi is we've seen now over the the period since uh, Christmas that you don't want El Ghazi in your own half very much. So, I mean, if somebody's going to be left up front and Watkins can do it, I would probably prefer to drop Watkins in the sort of more defensive role and leave El Ghazi up top when we're defending because we've seen what's happened on a few occasions there. He just... He just doesn't have that that in him to, to clear to clear the danger. When Trezeguet goes off, that was a signal for me that uh, Smith isn't going to roll the dice here because that's the, the next chance you bring on Davis and just go, you know, just go for it. Let's go for it. But I think he couldn't bring on Davis because he'd taken off Nakamba. So uh, he would have been a bit light in the middle there. Because what was the other option to cover Trezeguet? I mean, he brought on Ramsey. Ramsey was all right when he first came on. But, you know, we get to their goal and... You can point the finger. I mean, I've looked at it on that on the Liverpool site when they did that old slow motion thing. And when he's about to shoot, you're thinking, "There's no way this can go in." It certainly shouldn't. It's one player steps away from it. Is that Konza taking a step one way, or is that Al Ghazi? I can't remember. But Mings is berating uh, Al Ghazi for not clearing it properly. You could argue that Ramsey should have uh, been sharper in his first, uh, let's say, the first half a second he doesn't sprint to the ball does he, he doesn't uh, close him down sharply he just uh, waits for him to shape to shoot before he starts to close him down it's all a bit passive unfortunately as i mean i thought yeah. you know, when it come in because the, the first save from martinez is a brilliant save oh yeah fantastic yeah, they should score that chance he had no no right saving that from point blank range then when it comes out and it, i think it loops up to el ghazi you think right you can either head it behind for a corner and you can regroup you're going to fancy your chances against liverpool from a corner because they're not a big side. Or just put your laces through it and put it anywhere other than where you have. You could even kick it out towards the touchline and he's not going to score from there, but he hits it to him straight on the edge of the penalty area. And then when it, and then when it comes to him, um, to Alexander-Arnold, who has got a great delivery and a good shot at him, as admittedly you're wondering what on earth the England right-back doing in the left-back position. I'm sure Southgate took note of that as well. <laughs> and um, But when, as you said, when... when when Ramsey goes to it, you think it doesn't matter what you do it. If you, even if you bring him down or whatever, you have to throw yourself at the ball. It's the night. This is a harsh lesson he'll learn because he hasn't shout, showered himself in glory here. You have got to put your body on the line there. You, you've yeah. got to take one in the face or whatever. And the same as El Ghazi. And that's what Mings is moaning at because him and Konza, probably weekly for Villa, have been putting their body on the line. And he's thinking, you've got to take one for the team there. And you haven't. Because Alexander Arnold, he had so, he actually had so long to line up that shot that it was obvious he was going to shoot it's not as if he was going to you know fake it or whatever because this was like dying dying minutes so it was in terms of Ramsey he's got to get there and if he doesn't get there at least you know attempt to block there's only one place in that net where Alexander Arnold can shoot and it's that's a place where you need to you need to put him off that I mean it's there's so many bodies there there's just one one gap that he he found and uh, so he only found it because he had the time to do it yeah but yeah it's you, you know it's to the death you've got to be fighting and you know still we it, the lead up to that goal again it was like uh, blind casual speculative passes and and Barkley what was he doing he you know Barkley with swagger does something with that 
at least and, at least get a shot away and giving yeah. the ball away and stupid. It's just it's not a great goal, but you know it's it's it kind of again it sums up Villa. But I mean, my my sort of parting gift on this game will be if you're going to go and play the, the you know the champions. Admittedly, they're not playing like champions at the moment or a team with that much quality in the side get beaten by a real moment of quality now Alexander Arnold's finish is, is you know it's a good finish. Well, it was <laughs> but it's not but you've gifted it to him and for 90 minutes I think Liverpool have not played particularly well but they've outworked us and like if you're going to play against a class side make them show their class work harder than them don't get outworked by a, a better team that's inexcusable for me when, when you're on the run of form Villa on, you've got to fight your way out of trouble. Well, not trouble, you know I mean? You've got to fight your way and grind your way out of this bad run of form. And they managed to do that against Fulham. Yeah, but Fulham are a lesser team. Liverpool mm. worked harder. And for me, that's that's that doesn't wash with me. Yeah, I mean, my headline was just how they gave away blind... It's not trying something clever. It was just blind and casual speculative passing, which you're getting into injury time... The least you know you're going to get out of this is a fucking point. If you if you play it cagey, if you play it safe, you'll get a point. But this wasn't even it wasn't even constructive to do anything. It was just giving them another chance to have a go at us. It was just giving them the ball cheaply. It's like they should have to win the ball off us at that point in time of the game. Yeah. Yes. Well, we've said it before. The Villa DNA and the, the final stat that was put up at the weekend is um, Aston Villa have lost 22 Premier League games from that manner, and only Spurs have lost more in, in 23 in the Premier League's history. Is this an injury time? Yeah, an injury time winner uh, or winner against them. So uh, while everybody goes around saying, "Oh, that's Spursy," if if we do it again a couple of times, they can say, "Well, that's Villa." Yeah, no, it's it is a trait, and you know, I joked at the top of the show that this was an annual event because this isn't you know it did happen uh, last at season. Villa Park, yeah, last season, and Gerard did it at Villa Park, mm-hmm. and it's happened, and it's happened, at, yeah, it's happened down the years before as well. So somebody's got to learn about this that this should not happen again because you know I mean, we're not you, you mentioned it uh, in previous games and I have as well and it's this 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 I don't know what you'd call it this this sort of um mental attitude if you want to call it that or a mentality thing of it's it's almost aimlessness that's come into our game yeah with and without the ball it's, it's all a bit aimless you think where's that come from because smith that's not in how he plays football. You saw that at Brentford. You saw it at Warsaw. You saw it most of the time at Villa. Smith is not a manager that demands his players to be aimless. Who does? Where's this? Where's this come from? Yeah, this was the thing I was, I was a bit excited about. Those uh, that nine minutes against Fulham was those assists. There was purpose, crisp, really purpose, crisp. Purpose, but purpose, yeah. intent. Here, what I'm saying is these bloody casual, speculative, you know, pumps up here and there, and it, all they were doing was giving the ball away, and it should be in the player's mind. Well, if I'm going to do this, 75 percent chance I'm going to give the ball straight back to them. So don't fucking do it. Meanwhile, you know, we lose this game, and because that is throwing points away, and or a point away, shall I say? And you're getting people saying, oh, uh, you know, people complaining about this. You just got to look back two years ago, and we were playing Rotherham. Uh, you know, we were in the Championship, so there's progress. It's like what we going to do next season and when this giveaway goals and injury time in you know cheap manners are we going to say well three years ago we were playing Rotherham is that how we stay positive that's not how we progress that's not how years ago we were winning European Cups that's not how we get a fucking new new stands built because we need to progress and it's all right if we're not good enough but we are good enough and that Liverpool team have been you know last game home game was against Fulham and they lost one nil to Fulham no 
and finishing finishing below Leeds this season with uh, RA yeah. play and a season ahead start on them in the Premier League is not a good look. The thing is, we got to a position where we were playing so well and, and the potential was there. And this is not us not being good enough. And you go, well, okay, next season we'll get better. It's like squandering things. It's throwing cheap points. It's getting beaten by the bottom of the table team when they're down to 10 men. And they haven't, you know, shown any sign of life of uh, putting a, a run of games together. Pretty much, you know, how many teams have beaten them? How many teams have they beaten? It's just not maintaining standards. This isn't, you know, if you're going to lose games in a season. Everyone accepts that. And you knew Villa would have a bit of a tail off at some point, but it's the manner of it. Don't gift things to, you know, most of these games we've lost, it isn't even like the opposition have played particularly well. Bar no, West, West Ham, I thought West Ham were very good and a couple of other games. But generally, we've been playing piss poor opposition. And everyone in yeah. and around us in the table is equally clunky and inconsistent. Anyway, so that's we're going to have to put a line under that as another opportunity missed. And uh, this isn't this wasn't not getting beaten by a Liverpool team who uh, just ran through us, you know, like they have done uh, previously. This was a even though we had uh, you know missing players, this was a chance. But when you're getting into in, into injury time and you're starting to give the ball back so cheaply. Uh, then uh, that goes down as an opportunity missed. Oh, one more thing. Since we lost, I'll ask you a quick question. If you have to line up the match day squad against <laughs> against the wall and you've got to pick one of them to clean the whole 10 toilets, which player would it be? Phil? What? <laughs> <laughs> what, me? No, I'm, I'm not going to... No, um... Uh, <laughs> yeah, Phil, yeah, I'm, Phil, you're cleaning I'm, I'm, the I'm, toilets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, it's Sparkly. Ross Sparkly's cleaning the toilets. Oh, yeah. Yeah. With what part of his body? <laughs> With his bristle his hair. hair. Yeah, his brill part head. <laughs> Chris Bird. I'm going to have to teach the young lad a harsh lesson lesson for not putting his body on the line. So I'm going Ramsey. Oh, Oh, actually, he can do the he can do the north stand toilets. <laughs> yeah, he's got, to, he's got to take one in the face or he's cleaning the bogs. <laughs> right. Let's lift up the mood. Let's get into... Underrated or overrated? Right, we we kind of have a loose theme of a, a player that played for Villa, but also played for the team that we've just played. So we'll go for Mr. Milan Barros. Remember him? Pumped in there by Milner. Looked like handball from Ridgewell there. Barry in towards Barros. That looked like handball as well. He's given it. It's Backer. It's Barros. It's four. He was a Euro's golden boot man. It's a miracle. How did, he was. how did he achieve that? 2004. Was this one of those ones where you score a hat-trick against a rubbish team in the group phase and that takes you all the way through the tournament? It's one of them, isn't it? Yeah. The, the winners were Greece, weren't they? They, they weren't setting the competition alight with goals. <laughs> no, they were winning 1-0 every week. I think they scored one goal and won the whole tournament because the rest of the games are nil-nil. <laughs> Yeah. And they just won, won, won on penalties all the time. It was a good Czech team. Uh, I'm going to say uh, uh, Nedved just... Yeah, uh, they had Nedved, didn't they? And... Nedved set him up. But anyway, uh, so why why did we sign him? Oh, Leary wanted to upgrade for Vassell, and I think he also wanted a partner for Juan Pablo Angel, didn't he? So he was trying to build a, a new strike force. Well, he wanted a Champions League winner from Liverpool. Yeah, it was a bit of a sure thing. What do you think of Barros in terms of what you saw of him as a Liverpool player? And did that Czech Republic... I mean, his record for the Czech Republic was pretty awesome, actually. It was like 41 goals in 93 games. Yeah, I, I was happy Villa signed him. I mean, 
it looked to be as close to a sure thing as you could get. I mean, he was, while he might not have been like good enough for some Liverpool fans, I thought to myself, Villa weren't just at Liverpool's level, they were sort of slightly lower. So you're thinking to yourself, oh, he's easily good enough for Villa. So you're thinking to yourself, yeah, this is good. And the money wasn't extortionate at the time. But did that match up to the reality of what happened in a Villa shirt? He was frustrating, if, if I can he use was, one he word. Was frustrating. Yeah. Some people would say he was crap. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe when he did the same Nedved as well. <laughs> yeah. That was the key to unlock the Barros. He was just he was kind of symptomatic of Villa at that time under O'Leary. You know, we'd had the great season before when Angel had been on fire and we just missed out on Champions League. But then it was just a, a really bland team and not very inventive. And this was, well, this we, was we looked to Barros to give us a spark, though, didn't we? It just didn't happen. And Angel had kind of peaked at Villa at that point as well. It was just it was just a poor season. Although he did he did obviously score a couple of pretty important goals in the derby, didn't he? he scored two two goals in that three one win over Blues that sandwiched either side of Gary Cahill's spectacular overhead kick. Because it was only the, that first season that that he did anything. I mean, he scored eight league goals, but he scored I think four goals in the cup, so twelve in a total of thirty appearances so one in three man's not bad as a striker but he didn't feel like that because the next season he was kind of in and out and just scored one more league goal and that was it he only played 17 games though in the Premier League it just, it just never he never set the world a lot for Villa it was simple as that I mean we, we have a thing uh, about strikers where we don't sometimes we don't give them the service with Barros I don't know is that I mean I just remember him missing a lot it's kind of a bit of both frankly it was just a he was just an average player in an average team he ran about a lot. <laughs> God, we've had so many of them, haven't we? Yeah. It was almost like one of those players, and we've mentioned these before, where you buy him off, and you know, in this case it was Liverpool. It's not as if it was vintage Liverpool, but under Julio, they were winning cups at least. They won the UEFA Cup, FA Cup, League Cup. But yeah, you expected more. I mean, uh, I mean, we got rid of him. We, we, we essentially swapped him for John Carew. And I remember I was living in Paris at the time, watching, I was at, uh, Paris Saint-Germain's ground before they got uh, mainstream uh, watching them so against Le- watching them against Lyon and that's when Lyon were a powerhouse and uh, I think Julio was the manager and I always remember uh, sitting next to uh, at the time my girlfriend's like one of her friends boyfriends or whatever and he was a big Lyon man that's why we were kind of there and uh, so I said tell me about John Carew because apparently we're swapping him for that piece of shit Barros <laughs> and uh, he was saying John Carew Crew. Thing about John Carew is you got to get him to play because he doesn't always want to play. He said, "If you can get John Carew to play, you will be immortal." <laughs> and and I always thought, well, no, 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 that sounds good. <laughs> so if we can get him to play, we will be immortal. And then you start watching clips when he played for Valencia or whatever, destroying Roma, and you you got it with him, and you, you're kind of exciting because what you were giving away on the other end. Because I mean, the reason why uh, he he was going to Leon Barros was because Julio was there and he had obviously had him at Liverpool. So he thought, oh, I can get a tune out of Barros. I don't know what O'Leary's been doing. So that was a no-brainer. And then the funniest story you can find about Barros, and uh, it's, it's an obvious one that people probably remember. And, and it happened in the year that he uh, that he left Villa. He was breaking world records, wasn't he? Yeah. Speed records. Mm-hmm. Yeah, speed records. In uh, November... 2007 this is shortly after he left Villa to uh, play for Leon 
He was uh, breaking uh, speed records, but not of on the pitch. Uh, it was off the pitch, driving, when uh, in his black Ferrari, he was on a freeway where the speed limit was, this should be doing miles per hour, the, the speed limit was 81 miles per hour. And he managed to uh, more than double that uh, with 168 miles per hour. And he was stopped uh, by the French police between uh, Lyon and Geneva, and uh, the local uh, authorities' radar said, uh, "I'm going to have to switch to uh, kilometers here because I haven't got the uh, the local authorities' radar clocked him at 271 kilometers per hour, which was the fastest speed ever recorded in the region, surpassing the previous mark of 248, which is uh, 154 miles per hour, set by a mo- motorcyclist in 2000." As a result, uh, Barros had his, both his car and license confiscated and had to return to Leon in a taxi. <laughs> taxi for Barros. But a taxi for Barros in more <laughs> ways than one. But maybe he's got a little plaque on that road uh, saying uh, Milan Barros, world record, 2,071 kilometres per hour. Was he a dick? <laughs> well, yeah, I'm going to go with he was. So me and Milan started up front together the first game and I was excited about because he just won the European Cup with with Liverpool so uh, I was excited about playing alongside him but it just Milan was a strange character <laughs> yeah he was a he's a bit of a strange character um just wasn't really bothered uh, he ended up playing uh, where he started off his career actually in Bannock Ostrava he went there I think he was in and out of uh, going back there so he played for them until he was 38 uh, after a couple of spells in Turkey, after I mean, he didn't last long at Leon, he, and he played about. Well, he was there for one season, then went off to Portsmouth, and then disappeared uh, to Galatasaray. Went back to the Czech to play for Banik Astrova, then went back to Turkey. And uh, it's something like Banik Astrova had him back every time he uh, he flunked out abroad. So he just went out abroad, played played for a few teams, made some money, went back there, then went back out. And that's how he uh, carried on until the end of his career. But uh, I think COVID put pay. He was going back to Turkey. He was going to uh, Boraspar for, uh, I think, last season. And he was aged 38, but obviously COVID kicked in. So it would have been that January winter, I think. And that seems to have uh, fallen through. And what was the quote when he said, uh, my head would like to go on, but my body has said stop. And uh, at 38, he uh, retired from football. But he's uh, he's had his biography out in uh, in Czech Republic, but I don't think you can get it in English. I, it's not on Amazon. But that came out uh, last year. Paros. <laughs> the man, the myth. You're going to get an audio book version of it in, in Czech. We, we, could, we could have brought him. That'll be quick, won't it? It'll be over in about 30 seconds. <laughs> we, could have brought, we could have brought him home last January. And st- it would probably have been a cheaper option than Samara. <laughs> well, it would have been a novelty for sure. In the League Cup final, Barros comes on. One last throw of the dice to try to get us back in the game. Right, underrated or overrated? Over. Yeah, overrated. Overrated. If you come with that record, you have to do better. What the speed record that came after his time at Villa? <laughs> <laughs> but no, he's, uh, if you've got the golden boot in the Euros, we're expecting a little bit more, I'm afraid, Mr. Barros. Right, anyway, uh, thank you very much uh, for listening. Also, uh, shout out to the My Man Said patrons. Thank you very much. Thank you, first of all, to Brian Sullivan for signing up and also for Adam Soretta, I think is the name, uh, for uh, signing up annually. If you sign up annually, you get 15% off, which is around two months for free. You get access to extra podcasts and also uh, our uh, private little club on match days. 
Match Club, which actually is 24-7, isn't it? Match Club, essentially. It's worth joining just for Match Club. And uh, go to the My Old Man Said website, myoldmansaid.com, and check out the menu option to uh, click on the Patreon option to get further details there and join us. Anything else to add, gentlemen? Absolutely not. Let's draw, mm. let's, let's draw a line under this one again. Yeah. Long time till the next game. Plenty of time for reflection. Manchester City. Problem is, uh, Leeds just beat them with 10 men. So uh, there's a potential for Manchester City to drop their intensity, but I thought Liverpool had dropped theirs. But uh, hey-ho, hopefully we can get a, a couple of win, a couple of sparks to uh, before the end of the season, rather than just slipping off and fizzling out in some uh, malaise. Well, we're down in 11th now. It'd be great just to get a top-half finish and, and then consider that progress and a good season, and then we move on. Because at the moment, the, the season, to be frank, is starting to grate on me, to be honest. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think that, that has to be the aim, is you've got to finish in the top half, and that would pretty much mean finishing higher than Leeds, uh, probably Arsenal as well. So the, that has to be the target, because if they just flunk off, then it's almost like you feel like you've re- you're starting again next season. It's almost like this season didn't happen, because you've cancelled out what you achieved you, in you, the first you, half. You've, you've, yeah. undermined, you've undermined so much hard work. Yeah. Right, anyway, let's not finish on a downer. Oh, with a great record in Wednesday nights, don't we? Even better record against Manchester City. Sorry, Ooh. we're being positive, aren't we? We're due one. We're due one. Right, <laughs> okay, until uh, until our next attempt to uh, claw ourselves back into the top half, it's goodbye from me, and it's goodbye from them. Goodbye. Goodbye. days are great but there's nothing quite like playing at home the same goes for mcdonald's maximize your home ground advantage with mcdelivery order now on the mcdonald's app at participating restaurants 18 plus serving times delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonald's.com this podcast is proud to be part of the talk sport fan network talk sport powered by fans